All right, boys and gals, welcome to another episode of Otsy Falsy Immigrants. We're here with one of my favourite new people. She's a great lady, a nice songwriter from Australia. Kobe Grant. All right, Kobe, it's really nice to have you on the show. I really appreciate you finding the time. Hey, no worries at all. It's a pleasure to chat to you, as always. (laughs) You know, um, something that we always hear a lot on podcasts is this standard way of introducing the guest. And it's something that we've also done the last couple of times, which was uh, go into this explanation of... um, backstory and um, mm-hmm. and talents and stuff in sort of a really straightforward way. So we wanted to start this episode off with a little game. Okay. Uh, this one's called Good Cop, Bad Cop, and I will play the role of the good cop, and Mo, our producer, yes. will play the role of the bad cop. Are you ready to begin? Okay. I am ready. Okay, Mo. All right, Mrs. Grander, if that's your real name. <laughs> it says here on my notes that you started playing music at 16 years old. So I watch you on The Voice of Germany, and I can definitely tell you, you don't look like 16 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) We're not holding anything back here at the studio today. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I see that. Um, Yes. Well, I'm not 16 years old, in fact. (laughs) I'm I'm 33 years old. Uh, But, yeah. But you started at 16, I see what you were doing there, Mo. (laughs) <laughs> I did. I, I actually started playing the piano when I was six years old. Six years old, you started with piano. Yeah, and then uh, wow. I played that for about ten years. No, not quite um, nine years. And then it was classical piano, and I actually just wanted to sing, and I wanted to accompany myself. Um, and I was like, well, I can't really ca- carry the baby grand around. So <laughs> I just, uh, I picked up a guitar and just taught myself a few chords. And then at school took, I actually took a, you know, just music lesson from, from the guitar teacher, music lessons. And he always want, I kind of regret not learning the guitar properly as, as, um, one would say, I just right. went in there and I was like, this week I want to learn this Jewel song. Just teach me the chords. This week I want to learn this Alanis Morissette song. This oh, week yeah. I want to learn this this Joni Mitchell song. Like, you know, I, I didn't, I had no interest in learning how to play the guitar properly. I just wanted to sing and not have to rely on someone else to accompany me. So, yeah, yeah. I started pretty early. Apparently I was singing before I was speaking as well. <laughs> Yeah, we you know we totally have that um, properly trained thing in common. I really wish that when I was younger, I would have taken proper guitar mm. lessons and stuff. I remember mm. um, I was playing music with a friend of mine uh, last year or the year before, and I was showing him the chords that I had written down so that he could play some little riffs on top. And he kept squinting and like turning his head and looking over at the neck, and he was like, "What are you playing? Like, what the fuck is that?" And I would just say something simple like an E major or A minor or something, but the finger positioning Mm -hmm. is not correct. You know, it just was comfortable for me. And I wish I had learned a little bit more theory and stuff when I started. Same, same. Whenever I'm playing with other musicians and they're like, oh yeah, if you could just send me the keys of the song, I was like, I absolutely cannot do that, but I can (laughs) send you a recording of me playing that song, but I don't know what key it's in. That that kind of reminds me of like, you know, the old stories from uh, like Levon Helm from the band when he talks about 
when they played with Joni Mitchell in the last waltz. And he's yeah. like, you know, she just came into the rehearsal space with us and she didn't know which fucking chord was what. She didn't know where to start. She didn't know what key it was in. It was so much work for us. And I was like, that would yeah. be me, man. But to be fair, like a lot of the musos that I know, um, the, the session musos, Musos? No, musicians, musicians. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe that's an Australian word for <laughs> musicos. Um, I like that. A lot of the musicians that I that I know that did like study and, and you know, go to university or do a degree in whatever, jazz um, <clears throat> or classical or whatever, they also do say to me that the other side of that is sometimes they feel quite restricted because they know better or they know what's right as such or, yeah. you know, correct. So then they're not so free in their artistry. Oh, okay. Um, so somehow they feel that that maybe, you know, there's there's pros and cons to both. I know that's not everyone. That's a generalization, obviously. But, no, but, that but makes yeah, sense. that is what I've heard from the musicians who – you know, we're a little bit more strict with um, with their learning style. It's crazy. I just, this thought came into my head just now, and I just remembered that I said this exact phrase on the last episode, but it really comes down to feeling like the grass is always greener. You know, like we both, mm. we both wish we had more training and more theory and understanding, but on the other side, mm. you have these musicians saying, well, I wish I had more of like a, of like a free-flowing just gut instinct about some things and not just thinking about yep. the, the math of it all. Exactly, exactly. Knowing, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. But there's, um, yeah, pros and cons to both. Exactly. Okay, so so we have our bad cop question done. I'm going to be the good yeah. cop now. Okay. Um, okay. Great. So, Miss Grant, um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm with the understanding that at some point you moved from Perth to Melbourne, and I'm just curious when that was and why you felt the need to do that. That was when I was 19 years old, and. The main reason was I entered into this like <laughs> this online um, competition. It was like called the Starburst Star of the Future or some some <laughs> shit like that. Like it was like this the glowing bright Starburst. future of sunny child's <laughs> grassy hole. I don't know. Uh, God, it was so cheesy. But like basically, there was you know you had to pay to enter, um, and then you were performing at this beautiful old theater in um in Melbourne there was an audience there there was some like industry people there radio so either you uh-huh. got like votes from your fans or the judges picked you so it was a judge's choice to go over to Melbourne to perform in this you know and if you won you got like whatever some recording time anyway I didn't win but I went went along and that was really cool and I was like yeah Melbourne is sick it's kind of the Australia's um, music capital. Is that right? Okay, because um, I'm always curious, yes. you know, which places spawn the most creativity between like Melbourne or Sydney maybe? It's definitely Melbourne. So okay. I also thought about moving to Sydney as someone from Perth, which is not the not the music capital. Um, <laughs> it's just really hard in Perth. Like in general in Australia is, you know, a, a bit tougher than I found over here, but that's something for probably later. Um, but, you know, I, in Perth, it's just a really kind of quiet, big country town as such. And so I went over to Melbourne. I was like, wow, there's music everywhere on every corner. There's musicians everywhere. I met a couple of people through that, through that, that I, that competition that I did, like, you know, local, locally based musicians. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to come back. I mean, that was when I was 18. I was like, you know, I'm just going to pack up and come back. And, and I, you know, made a couple of contacts. I really came to Melbourne at 19, knowing like two people vaguely, like not even really knowing them, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just thought, 
I'm going to, I'm going to do this because I think it's the best shot for music. So sometimes I look back at myself, like in my young self, I'm like, wow, that's pretty ballsy. You know, yeah, that's, that is impressive. Yeah. Wait, I meet so, like so nine you, to 18. Yeah. Go on. Sorry. No, no, no. I, <laughs> but you, you went there for that competition. Did you bring your bags and your gear and stuff with you saying, I'm going to go to this competition and then I'm going to stay there? Or did you enjoy the visit, no. go back home and then try to go back? Yeah, no, I, okay. I, I, that's what I did. I enjoyed the visit. <clears throat> I kind of was like, this is really cool. There's a lot of great stuff going on. I met some cool people. And then I went, went back to Perth, packed up my bags, quit uni and. Oh, you dropped out Melbourne. of school. Oh, I didn't know that. I did drop out of school. Wow. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's also really ballsy. I think sometimes people really don't have to stay in school as much as people think you might have to. No, I think if I, you know, I was planning on being a doctor um really only only because i had the grades to do that not really because i was like super passionate about it like just because i liked science basically um but in fact in those first few months when we were working with the cadavers the the dead bodies um Oh, I was so grossed out that I was like, there is literally no way that I could be a doctor. <laughs> you, I, it I'm, just made my stomach turn. So were you, I mean, were you there for like um, dissecting the corpses? <clears throat> Actually, we, at that stage, we weren't dissecting anything. Most of the corpses were already dissected and we were looking, um, you know, looking and touching veins and muscles and like seeing Ooh. how everything connects and looking at the dissected parts and you know, analyzing them and trying to understand them. Yeah, it was pretty foul. Oh, my God. Like, like, there, were some people that were like, there were some people that were just like, I mean, that's what you do when you're studying medicine. You know, yeah. there were some people that were um, totally fine with it. And just me personally, like there were some people that were like, couldn't handle it at all. And I was just like, this is gross. Like I'm not, I'm not into this. And then imagine if it was like, imagine if it was like real, I was like, okay, I think I like the idea of like, because I think that the human body is amazing, like what it can do. And I loved, Mm -hmm. that's what I loved. And that's why I was doing it, but it wasn't really like, you know, my passion as such, um, your music was. So I just sort of was like, nah, I'm going to stop this and I'm going to fly over to Melbourne and, and, See what I can do with music. You know, having a history of like running your hand along the graying, decaying <laughs> cadavers, it, it seems like a, a foundation for a metal band. Actually, I'm surprised you that you went folk. <laughs> I know, I know, it's kind of gross. Not everyone does that in their life. But, oh man, I I will never forget it. Like you know, it was so many years ago now, and I still can't get it. I'm out sure of it still life, haunts your so. nightmares. It's going to haunt mine. So you can pass it, pass <laughs> the load sorry. over to me. <laughs> Um, uh, okay, sorry. so you you went to Melbourne at nineteen, and then uh, y- yep. you were there f- for what, what year was that when you moved there? Do you know? Um, I guess it was two thousand and five. I want to say. Uh, hold on, let me. I graduated. I think it was two thousand and five. I moved to Melbourne. Okay, yeah. so you, you yeah, were there. Right. You were there for about seven more years before you yeah. moved. Okay, so that leads us yep. to uh, Mr. Bad Cop once again. Yeah, enough of your little music business down in Australia. You moved to Germany in 2012, Mrs. Grand. What a coincidence. Mm -hmm. We all know Australia would have been the first island to go down at the world's end. (laughs) Was that the main reason to moving over? (laughs) You know how long it took us to think of that joke? (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like a sad amount of time to think of, okay, how can we like combine the Mayan calendar with her moving to Germany? So good. How many world's ends has there been predicted world's ends? Quite a few, I think. Oh I'm, I'm always still kind of waiting for that world, world's end to come. I sort of feel quite comfy in the knowledge that I've uh, 
enjoyed my life. So if the world does end, I'll bring it on. I think about that too sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, I think, I think that could be just the, uh, I have a bit of an obsession with like post-apocalyptic movies, TV series. You know, just just a small anecdote. I was just thinking about this. Okay. There's three, there's three, um, like apocalyptic, like end of the world movies on the top of my head. And I wanted to ask you if you've probably seen them, which one is your favorite? Um, What's the one called? There's the only one title that I'm forgetting. There's one with Elijah Wood and Robert Duvall, where the asteroid hits Earth and the mm. waters, the like the oceans overflow, and they have to. Uh, Elijah Wood goes back for his girlfriend, and I don't uh, think I've seen that. Ah, oh, I can't believe I forgot the name of that one. Okay, well then we'll just choose between uh, Armageddon and 2012, the John Cusack version. Okay. Okay. Um, I actually wouldn't have put either of those as my top one, but if I had to choose between those, I'd say Armageddon. I would, I would have also, cho- yeah, it's a little bit more entertaining. What, which one was, would you say was your favorite? De- was it, was it Deep Impact? No, it wasn't. Deep Impact. Was it, was it Deep in- yes. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, such a deep, nice feeling. Deep Impact, the comment. So I would have I chosen like Deep Impact as like that- my number one of those three. I love Elijah Wood. Okay. <laughs> but, but like, but, but all of those ones, well, that, that like, it's kind of about what's going to happen or what could happen. But I like the ones where the shit has already gone down, uh-huh, you know, okay. and now it's like after. So I'm into like, I am legend or like, uh-huh. or like, what about, or, you know, I, I'm into like, um, what was that one where um, there was this disease that like wiped out like half of the entire population? Like 28 days Damon. later? Oh, with Matt, with Matt. Yes, Dan? yes, yeah. Uh, it wasn't 28 Days Later was another one, but it was Contagion. Oh, like, Contagion. Um, where there's a disease. Yeah, where yeah. there's like a disease that like just wipes everyone out, um, you know, or something like that. Or what about that kind of one where no one could have babies anymore? Like th- like the world had gone uh, sterile. Children of Men. And, uh, children of Men, yes. Yeah, that's the, that's the <laughs> so shit. That's, that's all right up my alley, and mm-hmm. I have a real. I don't know how we got onto post-apocalyptic. Stuff, I mean, to be but, fair. Oh, okay. The world's your, end. Australia, yeah, with your history island. with dead bodies, I'm not surprised that you like zombie movies. You know, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, I'm right into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we we got on that topic because we were talking about the fact that you moved to Germany in 2012. So I'm just curious, um, what brought you there, and uh, you know, how was that process for you? Well. Good question. <laughs> so not really, it's not a short answer, um, but that's okay. So uh, basically the reason, when I first moved over to Melbourne, about a year later, I signed with a publishing label. And that publishing label, um, Gaga Publishing, they, I mean, they have basically single-handedly funded my original music career um, because I've made money with placements in of my songs in TV commercials, um, also writing for TV and film. So that has been amazing. And one of the first placements they got me was in a TV spot in Scandinavia. And the song was translated into the five different languages. It was playing oh, wow. there on a radio. It was, um, yeah, so it was on, on TV basically. And I thought, you know what? this is a good reason to maybe go over that side of the world and play some gigs because it's, you know, kind of a good in. And at that time, like, you know, I was self-managed and a lot of my um, music career has been kind of self-managed and organized and booked. And at that time I was definitely self-booked. So I sent out quite a few emails booking myself a bunch of gigs and 
I pretended I was someone else. <laughs> I don't, really? I always, like, <gasps> oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. What, what was your manager? Was what was your fake manager name? I actually cannot remember now. <laughs> I'd have to go back and have a look, but like it was something like, I don't know, like Tom Smith. I don't know. Like it was just the most basic, <laughs> like, like, you know, J- Jane Doe kind of thing. Oh my um, God. Cody West. And I st- Cody West. Yeah. <laughs> because I sent it from my, I had an email like info at kobegrant.com. So it was like, you know, from my like website email. So I was like, I'm such and such and I represent Kobe Grant and she's just like got, you know, this song in these TV commercials and we're coming over for a bit of a promo tour. Like, honestly, I talked so much shit. I went into like, That's the, amazing. you know, universal offices and yeah, I was a bit of a go-getter back then. Uh, Absolutely. And so... And so, yeah, I came over and I thought, you know, I'm also going to do some shows in other parts of the world. So that was actually 2011, not 2012. Oh, sorry. Um, okay. 2011. Yeah, no, that's fine because that was my first trip over that was not, I wasn't moving. Like 2012 was when I was like, okay, I'm going to Germany and I'm staying for a while. So oh, okay. 2011 <laughs> was when I played these shows in Scandinavia. I booked a bunch also in like um, the UK, um, also a couple in Ireland and then in Germany. And I just loved the shows in Germany the most. I found that the audiences were the best. Um, they were the most open to like yes. original music that they'd never heard before. Yes. Um, and that was kind of the driving force of me being like, I'm going to go back over there because it's so much better than, because at this stage I'd been in Melbourne for however long, not, you know, still independent. And man, it was just a hard scene. Like, you could get to like, without being on radio, you know, you got to this point where it was like you were playing at the, the at the venues that could hold like three, 400 or whatever. And even if you were selling them out, you were making no money, like with all the promo that you had to do. Like, right. I don't know what it was like in other places, but you were paying like quite a few hundred dollars to get like posters around town oh, or yeah. an ad in the, in the new, in the music rag, like in the music magazine. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous so, what kind of threshold you have to cross to be able to actually I, make yeah. money, you it know, is, past the overhead. Like a, totally. It's it unbelievable. Like a break even situation yeah. where, but, but where people were like, Oh wow, you're doing real good. Like you sold out the Northcote social club. I'm like, yeah. And I, you know, and I made 10 euros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so, Woo-hoo. that's so, it's such a crazy uh, business that way. I was, I was just before um, I forget the question, like with, with this tour that you self booked, were you able to mm. self fund it from the money you made from the publishing absolutely. from the licensing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. So that was a song um, that I had hundred <clears> percent written. So it was totally like, and that's what I have done. I've been so lucky with Gaga. Like there's I mean, other times I was signed also to Sony publishing, but Gaga has, um, yeah, over the years placed my songs and every time I get kind of a bulk amount, it means I can record another album or go on another tour or, you know, whatnot. And now it's in a bit better place with touring and making money. But like before it was like that was the thing that kind of allowed me to not have to get a job. Um, once right. I moved to Europe, like when I was living in Melbourne, man, I did everything from like dog walking to I was a magician's <laughs> assistant. I was oh, cleaning houses. Like, I love that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, I'm curious when you when you were self managing, um, were you also like what what um, royalty collection agencies were you working with in Australia? Or were you always with um, because I you know I only know the t- two main American ones like BMI and ASCAP, and of course now I know GEMA. Um, okay. Yeah. Of course. So, but was um, was that also bringing any income for you from sync licensing, or was it mostly from the bulk income from from Gaga? Oh, it was the bulk income from Gaga. Um, mm-hmm. It was a little bit from. It's called APRA. APRA Amcos is what it's called, and it's basically, you know, like like 
the one in America. I can't remember the name of it, but um, or gamer. So yeah, but the most of it was was definitely coming from <clears throat> from doing from publishing, and I just kind of lucked out because the thing I think the thing is with publishing deals. And I found that when I was had a major publishing deal, um, if you have like a hero, like, you know, you call that person that signed you, your hero. And if you've got a hero there, they know your music, they love your music. So when they get a brief or whatever, they think immediately of you. If you lose your hero, if your hero leaves the company, it's hard. Like I think that's the same also with um, signing a major record deal as well. Like it gets hard then to like, get anything moving to get your stuff released God, um yeah <laughs> you, you know and you've and you've signed away your rights like i i, I mean uh, yeah it's know. a nightmare yeah yeah it is a bit of a nightmare so my hero was the guy who started the company grant his name is um and grant had started that company and he'd come from a major label and just seen how they rorted the um independent um musicians like how much major labels took like, you know, and, and how much these artists weren't getting. And he was like, I kind of wanted to find a way to, you know, take independent musos, the ones, musicians, the ones who have like worked really hard. I keep saying musos. No, I love Australian. it. No, it's okay. Now you can um, say it. Now you've explained it. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So they like, um, you know, he wanted to kind of reward the independent musicians knowing coming from a place where he knew like how hard that was. And so Grant is, um, you know, still like working there, not as much because he's, you know, stepped down a bit, but like, you know, I was there from the beginning and I just feel like that that's like, was one of these things that, you know, helped me to continue in my music career was having, you know, him as my hero. So he sounds like an actual hero. You know, he the, is a hero. When you, he when you meet these hero. people who who step down from these higher seats and like bigger corporations, and they they get yep. disgusted with how things are ran, and they decide to run things independently, yeah, that yep. support the artists yep. more. You know, you really you have to admire that sort of thing, and you, it's 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 so nice to see that. You know, there's you, sometimes there's less money in it or less investment or or whatever. But when you have that mm-hmm. when you have that care and you have that attention to your music that you've been kind of fighting for, yeah, it, it goes a yep. long way. Yeah, and he just loved, loved and loves music so much. So, yeah, we, we talk a lot. Every time I go back to Melbourne, I catch up with Grant. And, um, yeah, I just feel really lucky at that young age to have found someone who actually cares. Because, you know, at that time also, and you know more than anyone, like it just goes on and on. There's so many shit talkers, like so many oh, people who are like, yeah. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Like, man, when I think about the first EP that I recorded <laughs> was with this producer called Jamie X. <laughs> and <laughs> Woo, so- Jamie X. Sexy Jamie. So- Jamie X. And he thought that he was the fucking shit. Anyway, oh, yeah. he like did four songs for me or whatever and he sent them to me. He'd already got them mastered before um, I had approved the mix. What? In one of the songs, you could still hear the click track. And I was like, dude, I was like, I was 19. So I was like, hey, I don't really like, you know, I'm not 100% sure, but like, I don't (laughs) think it should. And he tried to spin some shit like, oh, no, like Alanis Morissette has a click track in some of her tracks. I was like, that's fucking bullshit. No, man. No way she does so she I, does not. Like, I've had I've had these kind of experience, but like who, which young musician hasn't like you know, or things that you think are going to go somewhere, or people that make promises, or whatever it is. So I feel so lucky to have met a genuine person in yeah. Grant and Gaga Publishing and signed with them and stayed with them. You know, so, seriously, um, in in the music and the film industry, finding those good-hearted people that just mean well mm-hmm. and care about the art mm-hmm. is literally like mm-hmm. finding a needle in a haystack. 
I know it is. It's unbelievable, know, it's right? Crazy. I mean, you, it's just yeah, it's just yeah. like you like you just said, and, and and from my experience, it's it's a lot of like kind of sifting through social media bullshit and how people just set up this mm-hmm. profile of what they want you to think they're doing. And then you mm-hmm, kind of find out mm-hmm. later that it's it's all this intimidation and, and competition and, and like self-interest. And when you finally find like a good musician yeah. or a good uh, manager or label or partner or agent or something that really cares about it and wants to like mm-hmm. support what you're doing because they believe in it, it's this unbelievable sense of relief. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, so oh, I you're honest. To... You're an honest person. Yeah. That's ah, finally, you know. I know, I know. So yeah, that that was really awesome. And yeah, there's many stories. Like I had a dodgy manager and I'd like, you know, and oh, you know yeah. what it's like, people threatening to sue you and this, that yeah. and the other. And it's just like, oh my God, I just want to make music. Like can all these other dudes just fuck off, you know? Yeah, so, I think if, anyway. if, if someone were to say like, what's the two, you know, what's the two most difficult questions about being musician? a musician? I would say like, why are so many people mean? And why is it so expensive to play shows? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, why is it so expensive and to make music? It's such a um, backwards industry. I know. I know it is. But then, like, the reason, like, you do it is not is not to make money. Like, you know, you don't – not many people I know go into it being like, I'm going to do this because I want to make money. No, like, I you think, know, yeah, you have to be a totally different-minded – Totally differently minded yeah. musician to like to to be wanting to do it for that sort of thing, and it's not even yeah. the, the it's not even a good or bad. It's just a different. Um, it's like playing the trumpet or playing the guitar. Like one person just really wants it to be a different way. Yeah, 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 yeah. True. You know what I mean? So, so when you were on, yeah. you, you were on tour in Europe, and then you you, you came across the shows in, in Germany, and, and and so why you know why Berlin specifically, or is there a, um, well, is, maybe it's not an easy no, answer. Um, Berlin is like, at the moment I live in Berlin, but that was never, when I came back to Germany the following year, I was very much a nomad. I basically lived out of my suitcase for quite a few years, you know, really five. Yeah. Like I would, okay. Three months here, like, you know, sublet there or like five months there, or I lived six months in Amsterdam, like back when I signed to Sony publishing or like I really was like this nomad and still now, like I live in Berlin, but man, I'm gone like half the time, Yeah, like sometimes more, you know, I've just been gone the last three weeks. Money. Whenever I call you, you're always, you're always driving at I'm like always ridiculous driving. hours <laughs> and I know, and I know. So your schedule seems still, crazy. So it's like I say, like, yeah, I live in Germany, but like I have an official address and then it's like, <clears throat> I'm all over the place. You know, I have like some, my official address is, is actually in another part of Germany as well because I've got friends there, like, you know, and I lived there for a, sh- for a time. Like, but honestly, I'm, I'm just really um, – because I'm a musician who's on the road so much, um, yeah, I never feel like anything – I always feel like transient as such. Yeah. It's a topic I talk about in a lot of my songs, like this not really feeling home, um, yeah. like somewhere is home, you know. Mm-hmm. Like even I, you know, it's nice to come back to the place where I sleep most. <laughs> but yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I still feel like not really have this feeling of of being settled, and in a way, like that's not a great thing. That's a con, I think. It's definitely. I mean, yeah, I was just about being. to ask. I mean, do you do you think you're one of those people that sometimes feels more comfortable in in transit, in the flow um, of things? Do you know it's it's such an interesting thing because there was a couple of years that I 
sort of, um, you know, went back to Melbourne and spent a bit more time there where I just sort of had had enough, you know, because yeah. all this time and all these years, not, not the last year, in fact, I've been just in Germany, but I've kind of like, oh, I'll go back home for summer for two months, you know, three months, because why would I stay in the winter? Like, you know, um, right. and sort of have this feeling of, but where is that? Where is my home? You know, because it's mm-hmm. been like almost my entire even that I moved from Perth to Melbourne, like, and I lived in Melbourne, I still felt like that that was not anything um, long term. And I know I have a sh- small commitment problem <laughs> because <laughs> even like signing a lease for a year, I'm like, this is a big deal. Like, you yeah. Know, um, but I, I like to have my life in a way that, like, literally, if I needed to, if whatever, if an opportunity came up in another country or something happened, I would need two days to pack and I'd be out of here. You know a- what I mean? Absolutely, like, yeah. I, I talk about that a lot with, with, um, you know, with friends and family and stuff. About yeah. I, I love having um, like a home base, but I think I'm, yeah. there's something, and I, I know that you feel the same way. There's just like this unspoken, like I don't know if this is the right word, but like this inherent urge to be playing on the road and to be to be yeah. out and maybe eventually after some months that becomes draining and you get like lost and you get exhausted and you're so happy to come home but you I don't know I feel like mm-hmm. I I need that balance if I'm home too long I get road sick and if I'm gone too long I get homesick yeah that's exactly right and how okay. many songs have been written about that you know like <laughs> yeah that, that yeah that's that's what it is it's like this person who like a traveler like you know that we just we're, we're travelers. Like, it's like, we always have to be, yeah, I don't know, somehow like, you know, rolling stones, just, you know, playing. And I don't know if there's, if that's, that is an inherent thing, I think. And I don't know where that was, um, ingrained into me. I did a lot of travel when I was a a child with my parents. So, you know, whether Mm -hmm. I kind of got a taste for it then or not, but like, it's or is it like this weird thing where like somehow as a musician, you always have to have this struggle, and without the struggle, you can't write or something. Like, I don't know. It's the same kind of question over love and heartache and, um, you know, can we ever really commit? Because if we are happy, then what do we write songs about? You know? like, <laughs> yes. Oh, I really know that feeling, yeah. You know, and I, I mean, I've been happy a couple of times and written a couple of, like, you know, real cheesy love songs, but for sure the ones that hit the hardest <laughs> are the lonely ones. Like, Absolutely. I mean, know? everybody has a has an uptown girl. But you know that there's a, yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. much deeper songs out there. There is, and, um, and most of them come from this, you know, this feeling. So yeah, I um, yes, I, want, I, I came back to yeah. Sorry, go no, on. no, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> just that I came back to Germany and just started living this, like you know, from 2012, kind of this um, gypsy life out of my suitcase and just and in this time, like in these years, the amount of people that have opened up their homes and hearts and just let me like crash for a little while or, mm-hmm. you know, between shows, just finding somewhere short term to stay. And yeah, it's been a really interesting journey that I feel quite exhausted from <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I can totally imagine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to, um, I have, I have some, some things I'd like to get into um, about your of course, your your stint on television and, you know, mm-hmm. your songwriting mm-hmm. style and, you know, your viral yep. Winter Bear and, and the new album and everything. But first, um, just because this is um, part of the reason that we do this podcast is, of course, to get into the creative part of the people that we're lucky enough to interview. But also mm-hmm. there's this other aspect of the fact that, you know, you are an immigrant. You're living 
in another country with different policies, mm-hmm. different culture, different language. So what I'd like to mm-hmm. dip into first is, you know, how is, you know, how was it for you with um, immigration coming from Australia as, a, as opposed to maybe me from the States or how was it with learning the language and yeah. making friends and stuff? You know, that's really, that's really difficult. This is, isn't that such an interesting thing? Like I, f- I feel like I could talk to you for, 10 hours, not like You're welcome 45 to. minutes. Um, <laughs> I don't have to edit this, so you can talk to me yeah. as long as you want. So it's like, uh, I think for me, the easiest way was um, this two-year UK visa, actually, because we have the Commonwealth uh, Agreement. So oh, I, right, I yeah. had this two-year visa for the UK, which was a working <laughs> holiday visa. From That was the first thing I got from 2012. Then I went over to do this artist visa in Germany. At this time, I had met one, that first trip in 2011 that I came, I um, I actually performed at a small venue and met the booking agency there, a booking agent of well, the booking agent, the guy who just booked that small stage in Würzburg, and he became a great friend. And he is now like doing like my management and and bookings outside of my main booking agency, like all my private stuff. He's like the best kind of personal assistant, friend, manager, everything. Um, Are we allowed to, so would any, you be comfortable using at least his first name? Because I, I, I would like to ask him. Max. Yeah, okay. I didn't yeah, know if you yeah. wanted to, to talk about him uh, too much, but no, um, I'm no, curious no, that no, that's how can. you met Max because he, um, he, you know, I, I think I, su- I supported you at a show uh, last yeah. March or maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he was such a nice, uh, friendly, professional guy. And I thought, man, what a, like, what a lucky interaction. And I was curious how you how you guys met. Also, so he booked, so Max is also a bit of a creative guy. Like he also has his whole life had what we would call normal jobs as such with this create, like, you know, one, one foot in a creative side, like he's done, you know, comedy and whatnot. So he was booking like, you know, he's really into culture wherever he lives. So he was booking this stage and we became friends. And also he introduced me to like some other people in the area and he helped me with my German visa because as you know, like if you don't wow. speak the language, it is really difficult to Extremely, sort it out. Yeah. yeah. And to know like the ins and outs, my God, there's so many rules and like these tiny things that you need. And Max had also um, previously worked in um, customs as well. So he was oh, just wow. like this guy that knew all about the rules of, you know, everything. Um and so he helped me with my visa. And it's interesting because I've had more than one musician, like, for, you know, from Ausland, like more than one person who's not from Germany ask me about that. Actually, Max is thinking about making that a branch of his business as well. I think he should. Um, he seems very good does, at it. That's <laughs> what I said to him. I was like, because he's the most, like, personable, like, he's the dude that you want on your team. And yeah. so um, – <laughs> You know, and so he's, yes, he he became a friend, but he also helped me with my visa process, which um, after like you, you can renew it a certain amount of times. And once you get to like the five year mark mm-hmm. of, you know, having your visa, if you then, so now I have what's called, a, you know, I guess it's like, it's sort of like a permanent residency. That's what we call it back home anyway, mm-hmm. but it's not that it's, it's just like a unlimited, um, Visa, I guess, like unbefristet Aufenthalterlaubnis. So I'm allowed to, and that's an EU one too. So, wow, um, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. And so to get that, I had to do this like citizenship test. I had to do, yeah, because I don't know your story either. It's different coming from America, I suppose. I had to learn the language. I had to pass um, 
an exam for B1, B1. level B1, which yeah. is kind of just intermediate level German. Mm-hmm. Um, what what you know, state of Germany it. did you do all this in? I did this in Berlin. I was, um, I could okay. go to, you know, I needed, I, I am a person who leaves everything to the last minute. Like if I have something to do, I leave it all to the last minute. So I literally had three months before this exam, this opportunity to do this exam to get my visa in time. And, uh, I spoke like no German, like, you know, hello, goodbye. How much does this cost? You know? <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. So if I was that, like, righto, yeah. you've got like three months to learn to get to level B1 German. So I went to, I just chose somewhere and and I had a friend that was living here at the time. And, you know, I just uh, went to a proper um, German school where they didn't even speak English, you know, every day for three months, Monday to Friday. Oh my God. I had a private tutor once or twice a week. I only listened to German radio, only watched German shows. And in the end, like I, I did really well. So I was like, okay, it is possible to learn another language super quick. I admire um, that. I admire that self discipline. I really do. Yeah, well, when it's like that's the, my self discipline. I actually don't have it. That's why I leave it till the last minute. You know, it's oh. like, <laughs> I, I have no discipline. I couldn't learn it over a year. I was just like, okay, only when the pressure's on. So yeah, I had help. You know, I was again lucky enough to meet a really great person, genuine mm-hmm. great person early on who was just wanted to help me. Yeah. Um, and now that's kind of gone full circle where Max, like now that after I've done the voice and, you know, the gigs are bigger, there's more money. He can actually earn money from, you know, doing stuff You can kind of give, give it a little bit back to him. Absolutely. Because yeah, before, before he was a friend who just helped me out every now and then and, and sometimes he would book a gig or whatnot, but like nothing, you know, he, nothing because I was, I was just like a small fry. I mean, I am still a small fry, but you know what I mean? Like, I'd, so, say, I'd um, say you're bigger fries now. I'd say you're like a, well, you're, you're a meal of fries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's good. My fries have gone up a bit, but yeah, like, you're, you're you expensive. Know. You're expensive fries. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I got my visa, which was cool. Making friends. This is another interesting thing. Cause I think like it gets lonely, you know, and when you have like yeah. most of your people that know you to the core and they're in another country, oh, and it's hard. Yeah. As, a, as an adult, like anyway, <sighs> Making new friends is is hard because a lot of the time, like adults already have their core group and they don't, we don't have a lot of time, you know, as we get older, like as I get older, something that's the most precious commodity is my time. Right. So it's pretty rare that I meet someone that like affects me enough that I'm like, I want to hang out with this person again, you know? Yeah. And I think being musicians, we're definitely more open. And, and when you come to a new city, you're more open. And the best way, like I've always thought, music is like the, you know, key to, um, you know, being social because musicians are just generally more open people. People who come to watch music are more open. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I didn't find it hard and I've never found it hard to make friends, but if we're talking about like real friends, you know, like friends that are people that you're going to, you know, invite to your wedding or have at your funeral, like there's only a few, Like I've made a lot of acquaintance friends and like, you know, really, really met a lot of great people, but I was still able, it's just the same as at home. You know, you meet someone, you like them, you nurture the relationship. So I've got, I've got actually a couple of great mates here in Berlin. Um, One is German and one is Australian. And my other kind of core group of friends actually live in Amsterdam, um, Again, one was Australian and kind of introduced me to the others. So I feel really lucky that I've got some people on this side of the world that if I like, you know, because sometimes it gets like 
lonely, you know, someone, people that you can call and say, ah, I just, you know, I need to talk to someone who knows me and knows how I feel and that I don't have to be, um, I don't have to be Kobe Grant, the performer. Exactly. You can kind of shed the the persona and be yourself. And that's really necessary to do that. It is. And I think like, you know, humans in general, we really need that social aspect. And if we don't have it, it's not good for your mental health, you know, and like, I am amazed at how I've maintained my friendships back home still. Like, I mean, I left my hometown when I was 19 and I've still got four or five girlfriends that I have regular contact with, Yeah. Um, which I think is amazing. But like our relationship has been a long distance relationship basically, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and the same in Melbourne. I've got four or five, you know, really great mates because oftentimes when you move away, you just like a lot. A lot of friendships they're stronger when you're lo- geographically located closer to each other because that's just you know you can talk to them. You're in the same time zone. You go out together, right? So you kind of feel that. So I am one of those. You know, I know a lot of people say, "Oh, you're lucky if you can count your best friends on one hand." I'm like, I've, I, I'm really lucky then, you know, because I've oh, got yeah. quite a few really great mates, and I and I have always kind of put a lot of energy into my relationships because. Um, that's really important to me, actually. Right. I mean, in my experience, when I when I moved here, I, I, I felt this sort of like bottleneck effect where in my mind, I had this virtual city worth of friends. And then mm. when I moved, I felt like the, the filter got thinner and, and finer. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, mm-hmm. you know, you have these, like you said, you know, between five and 10, like great close people that you still speak mm-hmm. with on a really regular basis, however long distance. But still, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. those people that stayed, that friendship is it has more longing and more depth and more meaning because you're you you're both on different sides of the world fighting to keep a connection. And absolutely, I, I think that means more, you know, than people yeah. who say, "Oh, you know, uh, he moved away, and uh, oh, I haven't heard from him in a while or something." But yeah. not not making the effort to step forward and call and say, "Like, hey, what's going on? How are you?" Yeah, you know, I yeah, think taking yeah. those small steps forward with people, it, it means a lot. And it's like you said, you need that sort of human connection and, and we all need to feel kind of wanted and cared for. And Absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I know it can be hard in another city, but I just think like for us and being musicians is something like there is all of a sudden anywhere you go, you do have this community. Yeah. And even if you are not at first close, really close to anyone, you've got a community. You go to an open, like all my gigs when I moved to different cities, I started off just going to open mic nights or going to like popular music venues and chatting to the musicians and chatting to the bar staff and like, you know, making friends that way. Like, cause there is this community there, which, so it's never been a struggle, um, you know, to meet people. I think being a musician, it really definitely makes it easier. Absolutely. Um, well, I, now I, I would like to step a bit more into um, something that I feel like if people are are tuning in because they see your name on the link, they probably want to know about your experience with The Voice of Germany. That's something I'm really yeah. curious about, too, because I, I've known you for a while now. We never really talked about it, like how you how you got on the show and what that experience was like and, um, yep. you know, what that felt like. So, the voice of Germany, um, this is a great <laughs> experience. Like, for me, it's definitely been exactly what I hoped it would be. Um, I knew Patrick, it's kind of a long story, in 2000 and... <laughs> in 1991. I, <laughs> I think it was, I'm going to say it was 2014 or 15, I auditioned for The Voice um, 
actually it was Max's idea. How do you audition for it? From from home, like a video audition or? No, it was here. It was over here. Like it was 2014, you know, like I was over in Germany by that stage. Oh, you just went to where they host auditions and. That's, yeah, that's right. Like oh, I just oh, went okay. along. I wasn't sure how that and process was. Yeah, you can just go and you like, you know, apply and, and do your thing. With, and I went there with no intention of going on the show. What I wanted to do, because at this stage I was just, I just released an album and I was like, I want to get in front of the panel of like the, the universal people, you know, the music label, which is like partnered with the voice. And I was like, that's who I want to get in front of to sing a couple of songs. And I knew that if you did like four or five auditions, then eventually at the end of the day, you get in front of this panel, you tell them a bit about yourself. And you, you know, you play a couple of songs for them. And I was like, I want to play them a couple of original songs. That's a songs good plan. That it was like, and, and also like in the end, cause they also invited me then over to Berlin cause they were really trying to get me to go on the show then. So I passed like all the auditions there that day. I played my songs in front of them, gave them all one of these new CDs. You know, I was just trying to get like, again, like just get in front of the ears, like of the late major label, Yeah, you know, that I knew was associated with the show. Uh, they, you know, I went into I went to Berlin as well. At that stage, the contract was so shit. There was no way anyway that I would have ever ever signed it. But you know, told them the truth. I was like, listen, I just actually wanted to get in front of you. And in some ways, like it was like a bit of a risk because I was like, okay, well, that was wasting our time. But <laughs> that's actually. But they were also like, but that's quite impressive, you know. Like so, um, I was guess a little bit on the radar. Nothing happened from it, of course. And they really wanted me to go on the show. Same reason that they really want to be this time because it makes for good TV to have the, you know, the the girl from Australia speaking speaking German, um, trying to speak German anyway. <laughs> um, and it's it's a good story, and they're always looking for that story because it is a TV show, you know, it's entertainment yeah. value. So I I didn't do it, and then you know as the years kind of went on, and there was a time when I just sort of stopped pushing so much, you know, like all this gung ho young me, like I was just so come on, like, you know, I want to, and like, I just actually got to the point where I wasn't really enjoying music anymore. And I was like, you need to stop for a while. I actually went home for a while and just stopped playing music. Like when I was, was that? Just, that was 2013. You just got burned out and needed a break. Yeah. I think it was just, it was only after like, you know, a couple of years or 2013, maybe it was a bit after, sorry. I can't quite remember. Anyway, no, it was later. It was definitely later. Sorry. <laughs> you, 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 you had just been just grinding away so much, being like a nomad. Grinding, and... grinding, grinding. I'd signed to Sony yeah. Publishing. It didn't really work yeah. out with them. I'd, I I just felt like, you know, man, it's hard. Like, what you know, what is it all for? It's just so much like you never make any money. You're, you're working so hard. You were away from everybody. Like, and I just... Um, I just lost another relationship. It sounds like he died. He didn't like, you know, he just dumped, <laughs> dumped me. And I decided to go home for a little bit. It was not that long ago. It was maybe three years ago, something like three years ago. And I was like, you know what? I just need to, I just need to remember why I love it and just play music without any expectation of it being successful or getting to the next, the elusive next level, whatever that means. And it was kind of as soon as I did that, opportunities came up like what happened with winter bear um and what happened and then going on the show again because i know the guitarist who plays in the in the band voice uh, like the, the band that's on the voice um patrick veland his name is and you know he kind of spoke to the producer and then they wanted me to come on the show again which was last year 
And like, so kind of these things, it was like when I took a step back and was like, I don't know if this is the right path mm-hmm. with my music is when I just was like, lead the way universe. Like, you know, tell me <laughs> where to go. Like I'll yeah. just take whatever opportunity comes instead of push, 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 push. I was just like, just sit back, write songs when you feel like writing songs, you know, play music because you love it. Like, you know, even yeah. I was just playing some local little shows, just cover gigs with mates, just jamming jam sessions every week. And, and then like, you know, there started to be a couple of opportunities that just came up with stuff. And I was like, okay, so it's still pushing me in this direction. Um, but yeah, so one of those opportunities was the voice and, uh, going on it again, well, going on it for the first time. And it was, the contract was much better this time around. I think they'd learned from like, you know, just, I mean, cause I'm, they actually scout musicians, you know, funny story. I, um, it was a bit embarrassing for them, but like after the voice this last year, which was the season that I was on, I got an email from one of the voice scouters this mm-hmm. year, the start of this year saying, really love your stuff, Kobe. Just one of the many, many scouters who even knows like how many they have. Really love your stuff. Would love to chat to you about going on The Voice. <laughs> I put it up it was on like, my Instagram. It was like, do you even watch everywhere. The Voice, man? <laughs> uh, totally. Do you know what my, my response to him was sending him the YouTube link to my blind audition. <laughs> I was super embarrassed, you know, obviously sheepish. I was like, I don't want to make – like I took out his, you know, like I took out his name. But like right. all the, the, the production team from The Voice saw that, like, you know, that I had po- posted that because I was like, man, this is too good not to share like I don't care oh and, my uh, God. and That's so they actually funny. called me apologizing and like really you know so sorry yeah because I think that like you know he was a bit sheepish like he'd yeah he contacted he contacted someone who was on the show like literally just gone you know oh man so I think he, <laughs> yeah definitely felt a little bit sheepish but that anyway voice was a great thing for me um I like really am really happy I went on it. It was a tough, a bit of a tough call because at that time I had an album ready and Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to release it. That was part of the contract. Oh man. Okay. So that was June, 2018. I had it ready to go for a summer release and um, just an independent release, but not allowed to release that. Had to remove most of my original music from online in the GSA. Oh Um, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and then this contract also, like, I wasn't allowed to play gigs after the finale um, for a certain amount of time because I was a finalist too, and somehow that's competing against the guy who won and the gigs that they're organizing for him. So, in fact, I didn't really make, like, you know, because of the filming schedule and then the live schedule, I actually spent, like, you know, quite a few months not really earning money. um, Sure, yeah. You know, with... Because with the filming schedule, you always had to be free. It changed a couple of times. I had to cancel a couple of shows like back back last summer when we were filming. But I kind of was like, you know what, Kobe, you've only got a, maybe a little bit of coin, like money to lose, like really. like So take your stuff offline and see if it goes the way you hope it will, which gets you a bit of a name for yourself because we as independent artists cannot buy that kind of promotion. No, that's really, you know, yeah, the exposure like, is, is insane. Like there's about, well, it was about 4 million people watching the blind audition. Basically the blind audition is the most important thing because that's got all the emotion wrapped into the story and like uh, less than half watched the finale. In fact, they don't know how to keep the 
the um, the viewers that long because it loses its you know those those blind auditions they really like you know they had my family out there showed me like coming oh, in yeah. at the airport and you, like, had, you had every judge turning around even you had this like hesitation yeah. from Mark Forster who was like is he gonna do yeah. it is he gonna is he gonna be stubborn. And you, know, you get this, you get this so, excitement, and every time that a judge turns around, you get this crowd who's just more and more enthralled with like you and supporting this, this fresh face yeah. with this beautiful, this beautiful yeah. interpretation of this classic song, and uh, yeah. it is really yeah, exciting. So, I can see how it might be hard to keep attention after you have this. The, the being the blind thing—that's the whole show. It's the whole show. Everyone yeah. watches it for that. Like, I mean, I've I've fallen many times into the deep hole of. YouTube videos of like the auditions of, of these course. shows, whatever it is, like X Factor or Idol or, you know, and the story and like why, why they should be there. And I'm like, yes, come on, I want you to, you know, and then yeah. you don't know anything about what happens to them after. And you're sitting there and fighting so, at home like, well, I can't believe they didn't turn around. I would have turned around. Yeah. You know. I know. So it's, um, for me, I thought of the show and I think there was a lot of like it was a bit of a shame I think that even the show the production company were like guys this is not the thing that's going to propel you to stardom or something use this use this as a tool it's great promotion yeah you know take this and use it but a lot of those young kids that are on there you know if I was young I probably would have been the same like I was the same you know you're so hopeful you think like oh this is it like this is a big deal in fact, it's such a great promotion tool, but really only if you are already like a working musician, you know. Right, right. Um, I think it's like looking now, it seems to have worked the, the most or the best for people who, um, you know, are able to straight away get up and entertain an audience for an hour or two, you know, right. and a lot of the a lot of the contestants that were, I mean, man, there were some amazing voices and everyone can sing. But if you can only get up and sing one or two songs to a cover track, like to right. a backing track, like you're not, you know, if but you don't know how to play an instrument. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's something I've always said, especially to young musicians who ask, like, it's cool that you can sing. Like so many people can sing. Yeah. You need to write your own music. You need mm-hmm. to be able to entertain mm-hmm. at the bare minimum, like just like uploading covers to YouTube. Hey, I mean, I know it works like for whatever it might be, like one in 20 million of people or something. <laughs> yeah. But it's still like, I don't know, it's just not, um, I, you know. It's, I not, think it's it not as marketable as, yeah. I mean, it's it, not, it's not. In today's, in today's industry, it's not just having one particular skill. It's, it's, it's building a whole right. brand, you know, it's like yeah. this and type of song. And exactly. Doing it yourself and having this personality yeah. and you're selling like, you're selling your yeah. kind of ideology and your, in your spirit uh, yeah, to the absolutely. audience. You hope that you hope that they buy into like you and not just mm-hmm. that nice voice. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. And I and I didn't know like how would that go because it is a cover song competition. It's kind of this you know big karaoke competition <laughs> with the most in, with the most incredible band backing you, like the best musicians you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but you know you're not able to do your original music on the show. So I was like, is this going to translate? Like because I had to remove all of my original stuff from online. Not all of it. Not quite all of it. But like. You know, I was like, are people going to then be interested in coming to my shows after this? Right. Um, and yeah, it did. It, so I didn't know if it would translate or not, but actually it's been great for me this year. So I did a tour in May um, with a big booking agency now from which, you know, it was a result of going on The Voice. Um, right. 
and I did a, a tour with look, it was just small venues, like 200 capacity, mm-hmm. but you know, three out of four of those were sold out. And, um, you know, I, I was able to obviously catch, as the Germans say, catch some fans. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think you played the, I think you played it uh, the best way that you could. Yeah. Yeah. You know, totally. it, it is a strategy um, and I think, I think it was the right choice to do it after the show. Like yeah, that. for sure. And being able to, and we, the amount of inquiries that we got for like also corporates, also galas, um, you know, also pr- private kind of functions, all of this sort of stuff, all because I went on The Voice has been great. It's been amazing, in fact. Like, you know, yeah. so it's just not so much of that hard, hard, hard slog and a bit more time to like for me to be creative because now I have the booking agency and I have Max, my, who's my agent, basically. Max to do, the man. <laughs> Max the man to uh, well, do like all these other things. Well, speaking of, um, you, you know, talking about people needing to write their own songs um, and, and you know, kind of building their own brand and image, um, I wanted to ask you a bit about your songwriting method. I mean, if you're, if you're starting your own, if, let's say you're starting a new album and you have um, a couple of ideas, maybe some melodies or some, some lyric ideas. I don't know if you, you know, if you hum some melodies into your iPhone and you think about them later, or do you always start with the guitar or how does it work for you? Um, actually it's, I guess I would say that the main way that it works is I start with the guitar. Um, and then I kind of start humming a melody and I've usually got a, there's a, there's usually a reason why I've picked up the guitar. So like, you know, something that I need to get out. Um, but for me, it's not, it's not often that I like have a lyric before I have the music. Uh, it can also go that way as well. Like I've, I've found, like I'm inspired by something I've read or yeah. a word that I've seen or a phrase that I've heard. Mm-hmm. And then I've sat down with the guitar. Um, so it can go that way lately in the last few years. I've also done quite a bit of, um, co-writing, which I've loved. Oh, okay. Um, that was something I didn't do before I, you know, I was signed to Sony and they organize a lot of co-writes for me. And before that I'd just written by myself all the time, but I mean, on the, on the new album, there's like, I don't know, five or six songs I wrote completely alone and the rest were co-writes either with the producer that I worked with or with other, other musicians. And I really love co-writes because you just go in there and you just get creative and you bounce off of each other. And I love that. You kind yeah. of end up, you end up having like a bit of a therapy session with each other, like whoever's <laughs> writing the lyrics to it anyway, cause you're getting something out. Yeah. Um, but most of the time my creativity comes from it always can only come from things I've experienced, you know, like in my own life. And so usually it's about just these ideas of wondering what it's all for, (laughs) what it all means, what Mm -hmm. it's all for, how crazy life is, um, love, you know, it's like this recurring theme of loneliness for for musicians, especially like I'm not in a band too, so I'm on the road alone a lot. Sometimes I play with other musicians, but Again, that's a money factor. Like, you know, if of you've course. got the money to oh. pay other musicians to play with you, then yeah. that's cool. But because I'm not part of a band, I guess I don't have that camaraderie or, you know, I don't have, we're not in it together. Like I'm in it by myself, you know? Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, for me, that's how the songs come. And I really lately have also enjoyed, yeah, co-writing a lot as well. Well, speaking of co-writing too, I, I wanted to ask about Winter Bear. I mean, this, this song, mm. um, you know, I know a little bit about it, but I'll let you do the explaining. I would like to know, you know, where that idea came from and, and, and if you, um, you know, where the inspiration came, the story behind the song and, you know, if mm. you, if you expected it to go so, so, so viral, I mean, it, it was extremely popular when you dropped it. So Winter Bear, 
I sang at a wedding, which I've been singing at weddings to supplement my income to, sure. you know, to, yeah. for my original music for years since I began playing. Yeah. I know a lot of artists who like kind of turn their nose up at that sort of thing. And I'm like, you're an idiot. I think that's you bullshit. Yeah. There's so yeah, much, there's so much money. Yeah, 10 bucks an hour down like waiting tables or you can make like a few hundred or thousand. Or even more, yeah. Like some, weddings pay such – like private events, weddings, birthdays. Like it's – if you're in, a, if you're in a, like a downtime for touring, like it's so dumb to pass that stuff up. Absolutely. And I also personally love singing at weddings. Love it. So I, because, because of like, you know, my music and my style, I'm always only singing at the ceremony or like short, shortly after. So I'm never around when everyone's getting pissed. I mean, drunk, pissed is the Australian word for drunk. (laughs) Um, I'm never around then. So I always am singing these people down the aisle where they're so happy. And this particular wedding, the bride was six months pregnant and this family was just so full of joy like it was palpable like you could feel the love you know around this couple and the person who'd asked me to sing and got me there was the father of the groom so the grandpa of the unborn child and um, he was a huge music lover and he had heard my song in a movie it was a title track for a movie in Holland because these people were Dutch and he'd heard my song and he'd asked me if he could use the song for like their wedding invitation, their online wedding invitation. I was like, yeah, you don't even need to ask, you know. Oh, that's so um, nice. And so nice. And then he was like, maybe there's a chance you can play. And like, you know, obviously then he organized that. So three months after the wedding, he contacted me and told me that the child was stillborn at full term. Oh, so, um, yeah, hor- horrible. And so yeah. he wanted as a lover of music what he wanted to do was write a song to remember his grandson by and also to give to his son and new daughter-in-law just because you know what do you say what do you do in this like unspeakable like you know moment of of grief and so anyway that's he asked me could you help me because he's you know never written a song in his life and I said of course I can do that so over the next few months he basically sent me pages and pages of um, thoughts and and some poetry and some pictures and some like you know letting me know how the family is and I also drew from unfortunately like you know I have a friend who lost her child to SIDS sudden infant death syndrome I know multiple oh, friends who've had mis- miscarriages yeah. I, I had another friend who had already experienced a stillbirth um, you know and and it wasn't until later that I realized how common it was but I kind of drew from this and also specifically, like, you know, the stuff that he had written me. And I wrote this song, Winter Bear. And the song, it, it was it's so interesting because he, he didn't want to be credited as a songwriter, Grandpa. He doesn't even like to be named. So, um, but the, the, the first three lines, which for me are the most hard-hitting anyway, the first three lines of the song, he wrote. I took it directly from his poetry. The rest of the song, I interpreted and I made up and you know so this was an interesting co-writer as such you know because he wasn't a musician but right um but the emotion was there oh absolutely and that's you know what you need to write a great song so we recorded the song and he gave it to his son and daughter-in-law and they yeah and they listened to it every day and they contacted me and told me that that it somehow does bring them like some, some peace, some glimmer of hope, you know, and Mm -hmm. I was just like, wow, this is, you know, pretty overwhelming. I sang it for the family um, when I was 
next in in Europe, or like in the area. Sorry, in the Netherlands, I sang it for them. That was definitely the hardest thing I've done. Oh man, I don't know um, if I could have made it through that performance, mm, you know, without without I, crying or, or breaking mm, down. I actually just made it through. Um, just yeah, broke down at the end. I can I'm like a bit teary talking about it. It's for sure, quite an emotional. Yeah. So um, there came a point where we thought, hey, maybe this would be maybe it would be great to release this out into the public because if this helped you guys, like, you know, how many other parents have gone through something like this and it could be in a way like, I don't know, it sounds weird to kind of say the words healing, like how much, you know, like, I don't know, like about my own song, but that is the word that keeps coming up from the thousands of parents who have now written to me. Um, so we did release the song and it had within a few weeks, 4 million views, 50,000 shares and thousands. I couldn't, I couldn't respond to everyone, you know, thousands of, course, yeah. of messages. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that this song um, reached so many people. I think it, I think it touches the hearts of a lot of people and is really, um, it's a really honest, like pain filled, emotional song. I think it's easy for people to connect to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think everyone, everyone has I, a story that they can kind of replace the truth behind it with their own pain if that makes sense absolutely absolutely and i mean the song was called winter bear because that was their nickname for their unborn child but so many people have still said like that that was you know something that they can relate to anyway um but yeah i still get i still get messages from people and it was recently october the 15th was international pregnancy and infant loss day i've reposted the video right and like straight away again like these comments and the messages that i get and so I'm so proud to have written a song as a songwriter. Like that's all you really want, isn't it? Like that's how that's how music affected me was just like, wow, this is so powerful, this music, this, this language that we all speak, like that can help me through the hardest times, that can make change my mood, that can lift me up, that can make me happy, that can connect us, yeah. you know, as, as humans. And so proud that a song like because what is what is success to me like that that is you know like having touched so many people but also like kind of strange that that it's with such a sad sad um topic you know so yeah yeah, you're right it's it's that's that's absolutely the 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 main goal and the the true feeling of success is when you get a message from someone who listened to a song whether or not it was particularly emotional for you to write in this case it was but when you have someone writing you a a piece of the lyrics or even just saying the name of the song and saying like this meant so much to me for whatever reason it did for them it's it's so rewarding it's like that like I'm so thankful that you connected with it that's the whole point you know that is right you're 100% right so yeah that that was a pretty pretty extraordinary um you know bunch of events that happened that even got me to that wedding you know that mm-hmm. that allowed me to like because I always like kind of look back at things I'm like okay well my song was in a title track in a Dutch film because I was signed to Sony and they got <laughs> it in there and and I didn't think that that deal was that great but in the end if it wasn't for that deal that, that got me that movie that, that the grandpa heard I never would have sung at that wedding I never would have been the one to help them write this you know what I mean like it's oh, just yeah. such, like I just look back and I'm just like even if you think always in my life, even if I'm like feel shit or think that something is not ha- worked out how I wanted it to work out. I'm like, Kobe, just wait, just wait. You know, you'll look back and be like, if that hadn't have happened that way, then this couldn't have been where you've ended up. And I just find that such a really amazing thing about life. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I, I just want to um, remind people that if they want to see the the clip, they, they can go to your Instagram, which is uh, Kobe Grant Music. Um, absolutely. So you have a um, a new album coming out with a with a pretty funny title, uh, "Small Tits, mm-hmm. Big Dreams." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to know, uh, you know, <laughs> where, where, I mean, I guess the the title. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, for, from my standpoint, it's like, okay, maybe it's self-explanatory, but maybe there's a funnier or, or a different meaning behind it. And then, um, yeah. you know, you're going to drop the album soon. You have a new tour. You're going to, you're going to touch into nine, uh, German cities. You know, what, what can we expect from, from the new songs? And is, is there like a theme or a concept or, um, what, yep. what's going to be yep. new here for this one? So the album is released. It was released a couple of weeks ago. Oh, sorry. It's already out. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Hey, no, that's fine. So, actually, you're the bad cop. Dreams. I'm the bad cop. Oh For man, I'm sorry, guys. My research, I fa- I failed. I fell through. Yeah, the, <laughs> the album is out for two weeks, and you have a but your tour starts in January. That's right. So the tour is Aha! later. So we've we've been doing radio promo, and yeah, we're doing the tour a little bit later. So it's a bit unconventional. Like, I mean, I'm an independent artist, so there's not really anyone putting you know, a whole plan together and whatnot. So. I'm going to edit this where it sounds like uh, I knew that all along. <laughs> Amazing. Um, just uh, to give people listening a heads up, uh, Kobe's voice might sound a little bit different from now on. We we talked for so long that her headphones died, and now she's switched over to a different headset, but uh, everything should still work out fine. <laughs> Is she still there? Are you there? Oh, we've lost Kobe. Oh, no. We wanted to talk about our album. Oh, there she is. Oh, oh, there she is. Wait, wait, leave Sorry. it. Sorry. There she is. I can I can hear you perfectly. I don't know why you couldn't hear me just then. Oh, funny. Yeah, we don't know. As soon as we hit record it, 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 it dipped out. Okay, let's try again. Oh, but now she's here. Okay. We can, actually, we can leave that. We can leave that. Just move on, right. buddy. Let's do it. All right. Um, yes. So, so. Uh, the album's been out for two weeks. You have a tour starting in January. And uh, so what are the expectations? What's the style, the concept? So um, these are a collection of songs that I have, um, back when I was saying I had an album ready last June, nine of those 10 songs are on this album and then I just recorded another six um, with the same musicians in the same studio. But because it was like a year, essentially I had to, you know, wasn't allowed to release that music because of the contract with The Voice. Right. Um, I had written all these new songs and I decided they still really fit in with the songs that were previously recorded. So I just, you know, I haven't actually ever like, it's, it's kind of a time and money thing, isn't it? Like I've not ever had the chance to like be in a studio for three months kind of writing and recording a full new album right? Um, because when it's not funded by a label, uh, it's always like a little bit here and there. So I was conscious of like, okay, do these songs fit together? And they really do. Like I, you know, I got them remastered and I got a couple remixed and yeah, they were all kind of really relevant for the last few years of my life um, and the journey that I've sort of been on. So the, the the album is called Small Tits Big Dreams, and there's a few reason I called a few reasons I called it that. Um, I don't, you know, I can well, you know, I can call it whatever I want to, can't I? Because Hell yeah, I don't have a label. <laughs> so it was quite funny when I was telling people that's what I want to call it. Um, the idea, like, it's kind of a in personal joke within my family. Uh, about, I mean, it's the truth. Like I've got small tits and I've got big dreams. So, you know, that was kind of the, 
the thing about it there was kind of just showing my humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little bit unexpected, I suppose, because I was like, oh, I could just call it one of the songs, you know, on the album, or I could just like show. So people think that they, the people that are really fans of me that follow me on Instagram, they they know that like um, I do have a bit of a personality, I suppose. Like, you know, if you just see me on stage or just saw my voice performance, it looks really lovely and sweet and nice. And I am those things. Um, but I'm also, you know, a little bit rude. And so I thought, I thought I'm just going to put that up there. The other reason and the main reason that I called the album what I did is because it is dedicated to a friend of mine who passed away in January and she, um, she had breast cancer and Tara Simmons is her name. She was also a musician, incredibly talented musician. And Tara, she had the same kind of humour. So when she found out, she, she fought for 18 months actually. Um, and when she found out, she created a Facebook group for her friends and her family just to let them know everything that was going on. And mm-hmm. she called it, Tittle Be All Right. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's the that's play great. on words. Like I don't, because Australians call breasts tits, you know, so Tittle Be All Right instead of It'll Be All Right. I like that. And, <laughs> Which was brilliant. And then she also, you know, I remember when she was telling me she had to get a mastectomy of her left, left breast and once she got back on online dating, which, um, you know, because the, the cancer went and then came back and, um, you know, but anyway, there was a time when she was back out there dating. She was still working. She was really um, active and enjoying life till the last kind of few weeks. But anyway, she got online and she put in her profile that she's the one tit wonder on a dating profile. <laughs> so, you know, stuff oh, like that's this. beautiful, man. That's that's really that's a good sense of humor. Yeah, she did have a great sense of humor, and that's you know. And I had the opportunity to see her in October. She died in January. Um, I'm so sorry for I, your loss. That's uh, I'm sorry to hear you. that. Yeah, thanks, thanks. It's um, it's tough. I miss her all the time. Seems way too young for someone to go. It's the mm-hmm. first person actually in on the other side lucky that I've that I've lost. So, um, and you know, I dedicated the album to her, and I know I didn't get the chance to tell her that that was going to be the title of the album because I didn't know then, you know, and and I just know that she would have found it hilarious. She just celebrated all my wins and. She was always so happy for me and I just wanted to kind of, I guess, honor her in that way too because I know she would have loved that as well. As I think that's amazing. Um, I think yeah. that's really amazing. Yeah. So that's uh, there's a song I wrote for her also on the album. It's called For Tara. So, um, yeah, she she plays a bit of a role in this album and, uh, yeah, in my thoughts in general. I'm so, that's, that's really great. I, I think it's really... It means a lot when you have this really specific message behind, you know, the the idea for the title or the idea for a certain song. And um, yeah, I'm glad yeah. that, I'm glad that you can talk about it here, and you know, people can can listen in and kind of get a, a better image of the whole or a clearer picture of the whole thing. For sure, and I think like because some people find it a bit offensive or they don't like that I've called my album "Small Tits, Big Dream." Like some people find it funny and some people don't. Um, that's the thing about humor. But like once yeah. they hear. Story behind it, everybody can understand. You know the, what my main motivation was for for calling it that. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, who cares if they don't like the title? It's more about the content <laughs> that you're putting out. And if they're a fan, then they're going to appreciate it anyway. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so just quickly, I want to I want to uh, let people know that you know, starting in January, you're going to hit Hamburg, Stuttgart, 
uh, Cologne, uh, Vienna, Munich, Frankfurt, Nuremberg, Dresden, and Berlin. Yes. And I think that's really great. 2020 tour, nine cities. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to to let people know about? I'm doing um, those shows will feature some fe- special guests. So I'm actually going to be um, taking a, one of my musicians on the road with me, and he's an incredible musician. So it, it will be not just solo, which is cool, nice, um, and some special guests in each city. So I think um, that's going to be really nice, like for people to come to something different from the last tour. Uh, and obviously, obviously singing all of the new songs from the album and the new songs that I've been creating since. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. You know, I don't, I don't really live with expect, I don't have expectations anymore. And that's such a strange thing. Like, you know, my album's called Big Dreams. Of course, I've got those dreams. But like, after being so long in this industry, I sort of am like, anything will be great. Like, you know, I just don't Mm want to like, and I don't want to say that that's being lazy or somehow not dreaming, um, you know, because I will always have those big dreams, but I also, I'm just, it's more about being totally grateful for however it continues to go. And so, um, you know, nothing will be disappointing really. I'm, I'm always just really, you know, happy to be happy to be living off of my art, which so many people can't. Exactly. And at yeah. this point I can live off, yeah, instead of having to have side jobs, I can just live off my art right now, which I'm just riding that wave and who knows when it will end. <laughs> well, I don't think it's ever going to end because you've, you've really, um, blessed a lot of a lot of lucky people who've gotten to to know you and to hear your music and um i just want to say from from me and mo we really appreciate having you on the show thanks for taking the time with us and uh, i wish you all the best of luck on this new release and this next tour and i think you still have a, a long bright future ahead of you and uh if people are uh listening they should definitely go see you in one of the cities near them check out kobe grant music on instagram and uh Thank you so much, Kobe. uh, You're such a pleasure to talk to. You're such a sweetheart. And I'm really, I'm thankful Mm. that you shared these stories. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It was really a pleasure. For me, it's always amazing to be the first one to listen to to these podcasts live. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Amazing. And you're an artsy-fartsy immigrant now. You can label that maybe. The official stamp now. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, all right. Well, then that's from, from, from me and from Mo and from Kobe. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Great. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. Ein Podcast von Jordan Prince, produziert von Moritz Batscheider für M94.5.